episode 133 of Friends in Film, a podcast that release news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll discuss Overlord's first trailer, Birds of Prey's lineup, Timothy Chalamet's next project, and more after review The Equalizer 2. As always, I'm your host, Chris Hood, once again joined by a man who has officially seen all of the released Mission Impossible movies, Josh Straley. And I loved them. Like, it's one of my favorite franchises now, everyone. Yes. If you haven't been following along with my Mission Impossible First time viewing. First time viewing. I was going to call it a rewatch for a second. I was like, that's <laughs> not right. I haven't seen him before. Uh, I've kind of, I started like just ready to mock this whole thing and have fun with it. And I did it for the first two. And then J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot jumped on board. And I just kind of like fell in love and have become completely impressed the entire time. Uh, my final one, the Rogue Nation review is going to be up on Tuesday. Yep, we'll be out tomorrow. Yes, and then from there, it's just Fallout. Yeah. But if you haven't already, check out the rest of what I've wrote mm-hmm. because it's the most writing I've done in a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, also, don't forget, you can get all the latest updates on the movies you love on our Facebook and Twitter, at Friends and Film. And while you're at it, open up and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And while you're at it, Please rate and review us. It really helps. Yeah, and be sure to go over to our website, friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, where, again, you guys will see all of Josh's first-time viewings on Mission Impossible. Uh, you will also see his written review for Equalizer 2, which went up over the weekend. And that's what we're here to talk about. Denzel's first sequel. Which is wild. Which is very wild. You would think that, you know, not Training Day 2, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't know. There's so many other ones that could have possibly... You know, where's Remember the Titans again, you know? Right. Re-Remember the Titans. Yeah. Or, but this is it. This is his first sequel. Josh, you have your review up. I do. If they haven't read it yet, which they obviously should, can you kind of tell the people what you thought about the movie? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, my, we did a retro review of The Equalizer this yes. year. It was my first time watching it, and I was remarkably impressed by it. Um, it was a low budget, mid to low budget action flick that did over $200 million. And I don't know if I would say it was good enough to garner a sequel. I wasn't screaming for one at the right. end of it. But it was Denzel Washington kicking loads of butt. And Equalizer 2 is Denzel Washington kicking loads of butt. Um, but it's it meanders. It gets lost in a bunch of subplots. And it felt like a premium HBO show you know, Mm -hmm. rather than an entire film. Um, So I can't, it it was hard for me to really get swept up in it or enjoy it a ton other than just watching these different beats and stories where Denzel just gets to be as charismatic as possible as um, what I think I called in my review, Boston's Mr. Rogers, Mm -hmm. only, you know, instead of saying welcome to the neighborhood, he says, get out of my neighborhood (laughs) to the crooks and everything like that. Um, one of the things, though, I did really enjoy was his relationship, though, with Ashton Sanders from mm-hmm. Moonlight, who took me, like, till the end of the movie to realize, oh, that's him. <laughs> um, and I don't know why that, that was the case, but he's going to be a star, I think, someday, or he's going to be a really great actor. Yeah. One of those two, depending on his development, I'm like, who cast him and whatnot, because mm-hmm. I guess it's up to what projects he lands in. But this was a great one for him. And there's that little dynamic relationship between the two that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wish it could have been expanded upon and that would have been at the heart of the story rather than 
this conspiracy international hitman conspiracy that kills Melissa Leo's character mm-hmm. Susan, his friend from the old days. So, I mean, at the end of it, it was enjoyable enough for me to not, you know, have anything too bad to say about it. But it just kind of was a wild script okay. and story, and it was just like action. Ooh, that was awesome! And then like, oh, here's a little side quest. Here's another side quest, mm-hmm. and then oh, that's right. Let's we need a hurricane, and now we need a, an ending, and then there it is. The end. So I mean, I gave it three out of five ticket stubs. Um, I don't know if it would it's going to warrant a third equalizer, uh, but it beat Mamma Mia out. So it did. It actually looks like it's heading for another one. It won. It won the weekend. It opened slightly better than the first movie. So I don't know what the if they increased the budget um, significantly from Equalizer One to Equalizer Two. I don't anticipate they did because it doesn't look like there's not like a crazy new. I mean, the ending is a little bit more, I think, high budget than mm-hmm. the last film's ending. Um, I mean, you did get Pedro Pascal. Um, so maybe you had to shell out a few more dollars for the sequel. But, I mean, if it, if it makes similar amount of money, I think you could look for a third one. $62 million budget. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would assume it'll definitely make its money back. And it'll kind of just be up to Sony then to decide whether or not they actually want to move forward with it and if they did i think i'd be on board with it because i like this movie i think a little more than you did um it hasn't aged well in like the two days since i've seen it uh three days now um but at least in the theater i was really enjoying myself because it just felt just like the first one was an action movie but also it was this detective uh like parenting Mm -hmm. um sort of like uh, teaching movie for Denzel and this one felt more action heavy and I really liked all those elements because you open with the train scene then he goes and beats up a bunch of dudes and it just kind of it's just kind of non-stop and I was like okay like I'm really digging this and they they give you enough action throughout up until like the second act where things really slow down as we kind of dive into that relationship between him and Ashton Sanders character mm-hmm. which I liked the relationship but it did kind of detract from the vibe I was getting from the movie to start and then it was when the third act came around I was like okay well now we're back to the action and I was like okay cool and I really enjoyed all the action I thought the final set piece was really um, cool and inventive and something different for them instead of just like okay well it's just a typical um, you know he's got to kill these guys before these guys kill him it was like well now there's like some other uh, element to it that you kind of have to watch out for. And I liked all that. Yet, yeah, like you said, the story isn't great because there's like all these different side quests. There's these side characters that don't really mean anything. Like the old man he's trying to help find a painting for. It's like, okay, I could get you're doing that because you're trying to be a nice guy. Mm-hmm. But like, it doesn't add anything to the movie other than like 10 minutes. Right. So you could have probably lost those 10 minutes and helped keep things moving a little quicker. It told us something we already knew about. Robert McCall, he likes helping people. Yeah. I was like, this guy just happens to be old and mm-hmm. part of the Holocaust, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, not the laughing matter of the Holocaust, but it was just so out of left field. Yeah. I mean, Melissa Leo, um, while it may have been possibly disappointing to see her go out early, which isn't a spoiler because it's literally in the trailers um, as like the inciting incident for this whole sequel, it. I did like at least the sequence where she goes out because it wasn't just like a typical, okay, female gets robbed and she's, she's dead instantly. Like Melissa Leo gets in a few punches, uh, 
anything else she can grab, she's using to just hurt any guy in her path. She technically wins it too. Yeah. Which is really cool. But then obviously circumstances change. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and I liked the, the, the macaw vision, if that's what you want to call it, I guess, where he mm-hmm. like is transported into like these like different scenes and he's like, okay, well here I am. How would this play out from this person's perspective? And he's like trying to figure out how it's like, okay, well if he shot himself this way, it wouldn't do this. He couldn't do this if he was shooting himself, if this person was here. Um, and so I kind of liked those kind of like detective elements that the movie was playing with. Um, even if it did ditch a lot of the stop uh, watch stuff that I think kind of made that first movie's action really enjoyable. Yeah. You only get it at the start and in this one, he's not like, all right, it's going to take uh, 18 seconds. He's like, ah, 27 days. <laughs> well, I use six extra seconds doing this. So, okay, I'm only three seconds over. Right. It was like, okay, well, this action beat took me 25 seconds, and then we just like move on. And you don't see the stopwatch ever again after that first set piece. So it kind of lost some of the elements. I felt like Equalizer, for the first one, was like established as like this is kind of the core of our action beats and like the core of this character. But at the same time, it kind of – dived more into his backstory, which I thought was interesting. Um, kind of made him more of an actual like pseudo like secret agent. Uh yeah. and, like his setup and where he was living and like mm-hmm. the contraptions he has around his house. Um so there was I think just a lot of fun to be had with this. It's not a great movie. Um like I said it's not super memorable, but at least in the theater and thinking back on it, like I did have an enjoyable experience with it. So I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five. Okay. And echo your sentiment that I think Ashton Sanders is uh, going to be a big star down the road because he just, it's a completely different character for him than he had in Moonlight, where he was a very mm-hmm. quiet, um, you know, homosexual trying to not really let those feelings be known, but then right, like, navigate his experience. Yeah. And then this one, he's just like a thug, but he's like an artist who is like being tempted to go into the gang world. But then Makar is just basically like, no, if you want to do this, you got to do this. And yeah. it was pretty cool. He's given the cheesiest dialogue of the entire movie. Yeah. Um, as well as some, like some fashion choices, I question like, is that how, <laughs> I don't think that's how people dress today, but um, he definitely gets nuance. He, he gets nuance out of it. And I was just like, this, yeah, it, we're, we're very close for him to lead his own film. Um, you know, with no other character changes or grow ups. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am excited for that. He is supposed to be in Rupert Wyatt's next movie, Captive State, which comes out next mm-hmm. year. Don't know if he's the lead in it. It's him and Vera Farmiga, Madeline Brewer, James Ransone from It and John Goodman. So a uh, pretty decent cast for that. And as well as movie Native Son with him and Nick Robinson. So uh, hopefully both of those projects turn out well for Ashton Sanders. Um, I guess we'll move into spoilers here briefly. Yeah, just real quick. I Googled Rupert Wyatt's uh, Captive State, and it just looks awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it, sound, it sounds pretty sweet. I thought it was actually supposed to come out later this year, but maybe I get, maybe they bumped it. I don't know. Um, but let's jump into spoilers mm-hmm. for Equalizer 2 uh, just briefly. One thing I want to mention is one of those subplots that like really feels unnecessary mm-hmm. is the Bill, Pil- Bill Pullman inclusion. It's because like yeah. he's married to Melissa Leo, so it's like uh, he obviously has to be involved at the start. Mm-hmm. But then, like right at the beginning of the third act, end of the second act, there's a point where like the Pedro Pascal, who's actually the villain of the movie, him and his group of guys are trying to kill Bill Pullman. Yep. And Denzel goes to his house, and basically make, helps him escape, and then you don't see anything from him ever again. You're right. Like, what happened to Bill Pullman? <laughs> is he okay? I'm assuming he is. Got to the safe house. But like we don't see like. 
that he's okay. We don't get like another reunion with him at the end of the movie. It was just kind of that very, it felt like they were just trying to tie up some loose end with like, well, we showed him earlier in the movie and it's been a while. So we should probably at least bring him back in some instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one, that was the one that kind of felt the most out of place for me in terms of like the side quest stories. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, just in terms of the conspiracy that's supposed to kind of like drive this movie, that whole thing just didn't work for me too. Um, you mentioned the detective scene that we get to see his, I think you call it McCall vision yeah. or McCall recall. I don't know. And I watched that play out. I'm like, this is kind of neat. And then we get to the end of it and we're like, what, wait, what did we learn? Did, did we learn anything? Did he just kind of recreate in his head for his own sake? Like there was no revelation. Yeah. Explicit. Until then he was like, well, he was, he was left-handed and I was like, Oh, how did he, how did he figure that out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Yeah. We get to the end of that. And like, he just kind of, while he goes out and does these little various mini missions. And then in between, he's like, uh, I'm going to check the records on this phone. Beep, 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 beep. Okay. Now I need to go out and mm-hmm. chase down, um, Ashton Sanders. He does that. And then next thing you know, pops up in DC. He's like, I know you did it to Pedro Pascal. And it, there's a few things in and out before that as well. And it was just kind of like, it, re- it was really grinding mm-hmm. to get to that final act. Yeah. At least in terms of flow. So that's where I kind of like kept losing my interest. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, we get it. You're helping this dude. We've are, and, and, you know, so it's, it's kind of the same things over and over again. Right. I mean, the movie's two hours and one minute. I feel like this could have been like an hour 45 mm-hmm. condense that second act, condense some of those side stories. And I feel like it would have moved a lot better resulted yeah. in, I think a better experience overall. Um, and it's going on Pascal. I mean, I mentioned this when we did the, I think the first trailer mm-hmm. where I was like, well, it's weird because Variety's article when he's initially cast that he was the villain. It's like, I don't know if that's a spoiler or anything. Turns out it kind of, it kind of was cause he, he's buddy, buddy, him and McCall used to be, um, part of the same squad. Yeah. Back in the day. And then when McCall, his death was faked, I guess. Right. Which is um, something we learned this time around. Right? I think so. I don't, yeah. I don't remember that. And then like when they brought in like the whole Emma about his wife, um, and I was like, wait, I was like, did they mention any of that before? I don't think so. So that was all new kind of backstory stuff for him. But then they revealed that like after McCall died or supposedly died, then Pascal and the rest of the that group, they got shut down um, because of his death. And then they all turned bad <laughs> for like no apparent reason, really, or at least not like a very clear um, obvious one. Pascal says something along the lines of we have to look out for ourselves. Yeah. But like, that's so vague. Yeah, It's all the same. It was like a cynical reason. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just like, okay. And yeah. So since like, I remember that variety article, like I remembered it for months. It's like, I, I kind of expected this turn and I felt like they set it up well enough where it works for the movie. Even if it is just kind of, I feel like obvious, even on a first watch. Cause they're like, who is it? Who is it? And you're like, Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to introduce somebody in the third act, which doesn't like really work for most movies, you're going to use somebody who's already established. And Pascal's like the mysterious guy who's like, "Yeah, let me know what you find out about this." Right? <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, well, yeah, it was it was too obvious in his face. I think Jonathan Scarf's character um, is like the guy who was looking like the villain for most of it because he's leading the pack around mm-hmm. before Pascal enters. I'm like. Yeah, he could be it. Yeah. But at the same time, no one knows this dude's name. Mm-hmm. And, and he just feels like uh, a right-hand guy, not a not a lead baddie. <laughs> right. Precisely. So uh, hopefully he gets a little bit better of a role for Wonder Woman 2. 
because um, I, I do want to see yeah. some something better from Pascal because I feel like he was kind. He got he got the same treatment with Kingsman too. Mm-hmm. Same friend turned enemy in Equalizer two. I don't want it to be the same thing yeah. for Wonder Woman. He's an Academy. He's an Oscar caliber actor mm-hmm. but there's no pro no there's no projects for him no there's um, like there's no death to his character there's no meat to anything he gets mm-hmm. to do so if he can show up in star wars that'd be awesome sure i mean he can be him and uh, gene rodriguez can lead the ryan johnson that trilogy would be amazing it would be um so that's all we have for our review of equalizer 2 we'll be right back in a bit with the news back with the news and as always we'll start with ticket or skip it this week we have four trailers to discuss three new one being the second trailer for the movie we've talked about before and we're going to start off with that one the second trailer for bohemian rhapsody uh we both gave tickets to the first trailer we did if memory serves i'm going to give a ticket to this one as well because i'm still liking what i'm seeing um i like how it opens with like the queen remix mm-hmm. uh it dubs a bunch of different songs together there's some really nice looking shots whether they're from brian Singer, or dexter fletcher i don't know either way uh i think the direction of the movie looks good i like how this one at least dives further into freddie mercury's personal life which was kind of the big criticism criticism coming out of that first trailer um even though i liked that first trailer there's a lot of other people who said well you're not touching on what the big deal right. for freddie mercury's life and so this one they do a couple of allusions to that mm-hmm. uh, raymond malik still looks good i want to see more of their concert stuff because all of their concert shots look like it's like from an actual concert which is really cool um including that epic final shot of doing the clap from uh we will rock you so all in all i'm still on board for this movie still going to give it a ticket josh what do you think about the second trailer yeah it looks like a cloud please it looks as it looks as uh, it looks like a cloud pleasing rocker, mm-hmm. just like Queen itself, and the music today. Um, I'm all over it. Like you said, they're not shying away from Eddie Mercury's uh, personal life biography mm-hmm. at all. It looks exactly about his life with Queen mixed into the center of it. Yeah, and those two elements are going to be fantastic. And yes, the, the more and more we see that outdoor super bowl stadium type uh concert superdome we're not sure where that's actually mm-hmm. being held at looks amazing and i will not be surprised if we have people singing along in the theaters and clapping oh, yeah. and stamping their feet along with it because if that if that's the experience of this thing then um it's got an academy award nomination already you know for best. I, I think so maybe probably i mean i think there's potential if malik hits it out of the park i think he's probably the best option because they're they're not going to give any direct denomination to singer mm-hmm. uh, right. based on his oh. current political or personal stances um, or his past, I guess. So, and Dexter Fletcher is not the actual director, so you can't <laughs> nominate him. Mm. So I feel like it's going to be Malik and then something like the sound categories. I mean, it's not going to be original song, obviously, because they're repurposing all of Queen's songs. Correct. But maybe, I mean, it'll probably get like, if it's Oscar worthy stuff, it'll be Malik probably, but then, the Globes could probably give it like best musical performance mm-hmm. or give it like a best 
show and music and yeah. <laughs> musical or comedy. There you go. So um, <laughs> something something that is not probably an Oscar worthy fair, but still looks great, is the first trailer for Overlord. This one used to be or was going to be possibly a Cloverfield movie. Mm-hmm. Now that is not the case. It is just its own thing. It's a World War II zombie-esque movie coming out of Bra- uh, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams. Josh, what did you think of this trailer? This looks like a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it'll probably be... It looks insane. <laughs> it looks insane. It looks campy as heck, though. Um, but it's the Call of Duty zombies movie mm-hmm. just grounded as much as it can be um there's some great explanations for why the nazis are trying to create zombies a thousand year army needs Mm -hmm. a thousand year or no a thousand year empire needs a thousand year army so that makes enough logical sense to go pursue zombies right and then yeah it just looks um it just looks like there's blood spatterings explosions uh and then it looks like there's gonna be some epic spinal body horror stuff that's Mm -hmm. gonna come out of this thing and yeah sometimes i'm just i'm here for that um uh yovan uh, Adepo. Ad- Adepo, the star of it from Fences and the mm-hmm. Leftovers. He looks like he's doing a kick butt job. Yeah. So I'm going to be here for that. Uh, Wyatt Russell doing what Wyatt Russell does best. Look American, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking comedy. <laughs> That's definitely not what he's doing here. What else is he hitting other than the Ingrid? I, other than what? Other than Ingrid Goes West. 22 Jump Street. Oh, that's right. And uh, Everybody Wants Some, the movie that I just keep telling you to see. You mm-hmm. won't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know why. Do you not like Richard Linklater or something? Uh, no, I just don't want to go dig it up. I think it's streaming, okay. though, on Amazon. It's worth it. It's worth it. Anyway, Hell's Bells is a totally appropriate song to have ringing throughout <laughs> this whole thing. And yeah, it just looks like a, a pulpy, fun, horror zombie movie. And. I'll, I mean, it's from Abrams, and I'm I'm here for it. I think he's got great ideas. <laughs> yeah, I'll also give this one a ticket. And uh, the song choice was a little uh, jarring the first time I saw okay. it. Cause it kicks in, and I was just like, "Wait, <laughs> what, what? What is happening? Where's this um, coming from?" But because it, it, the the at least the start of it was kind of this more like wartime um, mayhem sort of style, and then it kicks in with this hard rock music, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I wasn't really expecting this, but it fit with the rest of the trailer that they were showing. So, um, yeah, I mean, both the leads, Adep and Russell, both look really good as well. Um, and it's got my boy Ian DeCastiker from Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. in it, who is uh, severely, or is typically probably the best part of that show hmm. in a weekly, on a week-in, week-out basis. Is he a Nazi? In the movie, I'm. he's the one, he's just like, what are you doing to me? And then his like head like snaps back. <laughs> um, so I hope he gets a decent enough time to shine because i think he is uh more than capable of making the jump to the big screen and actually like giving some really powerful performances uh then pilo aspect is also in there from game of thrones and uh uh ghost in the shell he's also in so it's got a it's got a good cast um i want to see this director julius avery and to give even more confidence into this movie uh bad robot and jj already announced they're gonna team up with this guy again for a superhero movie so really they this clearly isn't like a cloverfield paradox situation where they have like an upcoming director and then they don't do anything with him mm-hmm. they've already doubled down this guy so i think they know they have something good with uh, overlord and based on the trailer the reactions it's got i think they got, i think they got a hit winner that would make total sense because they took this stuff this footage i think we just saw to CinemaCon mm-hmm. to showcase it and abrams was up there talking about it like you know it was his favorite thing they'd done lately 
Apparently, the footage at CinemaCon was even more insane <laughs> than the trailer. This is going to be rated R, so yeah, yeah. it wasn't even a red band trailer, right? I don't, yeah, I don't think no, it was. So I imagine there's a red band trailer out there floating around yeah. sometime soon. It's got to be crazy. Because that head that we saw just on spikes, mm-hmm. I got to imagine there's going to be some more. I mean, it was just, it was, oh, yeah. it was almost too clean cut. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's going to be some holes blown in it and all <laughs> sorts of things. So cool. Uh, we also got uh, moving into kind of more Oscar fare again. We got our first trailer for Boy Erased. This is the second movie directed by Joel Edgerton after he did The Gift a few years ago, which is a great movie if you have not seen it. It's him, Jason Bateman, uh, and this thriller, which is uh, makes this turn for Boy Erased even more surprising because he's going from that kind of element to this um, story based on a kid who is a homosexual or he has these... Uh, feelings inside of him but he's part of a very religious family Mm -hmm. and they are not accepting to this lifestyle so he basically gets sent to like a camp where they they try to you know turn him straight and uh it looks very uh gut-wrenching i guess is the word to say uh performances across the board the great lucas hedges continues to be one of the finest young actors that i think hollywood has between um his brief stint in ladybird mm-hmm. which i loved him in that movie and um also i mean obviously the big one manchester by the sea which is where he got a lot of fame from um it's him nicole kidman russell crowe they're both his parents and then joel edgerton doubles as not only the director and and writer i believe yep but he's also the uh teacher pastor at this camp whatever i don't know what position he has necessarily yes. elder who's you know uh praying the gay away at yeah kids, i guess so so it looks i think really uh interesting it looks very timely and uh the whole religious versus sexuality thing i think will be really interesting to see play out in this kind of story yeah it, it yeah, looks like it's gonna be soul crushing and you're gonna want to bring tissues and like you said lucas hedges continues to prove or at least continue, look, he's continuing his streak of just landing in projects that have a certain spirit to him. Mm-hmm. And then this is exactly one of the other ones. It's kind of funny that he's following this up with Ladybird. Maybe they exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I didn't know Joel Alderton directed The Gift. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was directing this. I didn't know he was writing this. Um, <laughs> so that's wild. It's cool to see him you know, getting out there. But yeah, this is based off a book by... Um, Gerard Conley, who wrote the screenplay with yeah. Edgerton, um, and yeah, it looks like you, it looks exactly like you said, um, and I'm gonna be here for it. So. All right. Um, then we also got our first ticket. Yes, <laughs> I don't think I've said that the last two times. <laughs> the ticket for both Overlord and mm-hmm. Boy Raced. Will you also give a ticket for the first trailer for On the Basis of Sex? Uh, this one being a leading role for Felicity Jones as she's playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, an aspiring um, lawyer who is who is focused primarily on uh, discriminatory cases based on uh, gender. Yep. So she wants like, equal rights in the workplace and just in all areas of life. And then they find a case involving uh, a man mm-hmm. who's being discriminatory against. Yes. Uh, which is, I think, interesting and it's a, genius, and it's based on a true story. So, what do you think? What do you think of this first trailer? Yeah, the the, the uh, origin story of the notorious RBG, um, as they call her, and uh, I dug it. Like, I, I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want a Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic, mm-hmm. but the truth is, I didn't know her story at all. I didn't have time to drop in on the documentary that's 
just been released. I don't know. I was at Cinema Center the other day. Oh. Um, but now I want to because mm-hmm. this is pretty cool. Like you just pointed out, the plot of this is her defending the rights of a man so that she can also use that case, like finesse that into rights for women. Right. As like that is that is so genius. Like it's it's playing on the inherent sexism in the city mm-hmm. to her benefit. And I'm like that that is fantastic. Yeah. Um, Felicity Jones, Rogue One, Theory of Everything. Uh, those those two films. Um, sold me on her mm-hmm. and then you know when she her fo- her follow-up performance in those in uh the jay bayona film its name i can't oh, think of monster, monster calls. calls yeah riveting heart crushing soul wrenching cut wrenching and soul crushing yeah soul shattering um, exactly and then there's arnie hammer in here as his wife who is her husband husband yeah husband. there we go <laughs> that'd be an interesting who turn <laughs> less successful but or less talented, but somehow more successful. Mm-hmm. And then there's Justin Theroux, Sam Watterson. Um, I don't know, I'm a sucker for Sam Watterson in <laughs> anything, regardless if he's the villain or the hero. So yeah, I I really liked it. Um, so I'm here for it. Yeah, I'll I will also give this a ticket because I, I like the kind of concepts it's playing with, and I think it's obviously a timely piece with uh, the Me Too movement and just kind of get like more um equal representation for everybody especially females i think that this is coming at a really perfect time and yeah like you mentioned you ran through the cast it's great i uh, even got kathy bates kaylee spaney jack rayner um the only and i'm giving it a ticket but this movie comes out the end of the year like december 25th last week to qualify for the oscars and based on the trailer, I don't really see Oscar potential from it unless it's like based on like screenplay or maybe the direction overall. Because like I think Felicity looks good, I think Army Hammer looks good, I think every piece of the puzzle looks good, but nothing looks exceptional. So it's like I'm not like so excited for this because it's like oh, it's got the awards date, it's sure. got the cast, it's got the premise. But I just don't feel like anything from the trailer gave me, okay, well, this definitely has awards vibes right now. So maybe that changes. But as of right now, it's I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not like over the moon excited for it. Yeah, when you put it in that category of is this Oscar bait stuff, mm-hmm. it is, but it doesn't look like it's leading the pack for anything. Right. But I'm sure Felicity will get a nomination or some kind of nod. Um, but then again, I haven't seen half the Oscar films um, or know about their existence yet right. in most cases. So we'll have to see how it all pans out. Yeah. Um, so moving on then to the news, we got uh, some big news for Birds of Prey this week with the rap revealing the entire lineup for the film, or at least the reported lineup uh, for Birds of Prey. Joining Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn will be Black Canary, Huntress, Cassandra Kane, and Renee Montoya, a.k.a. The Question. Uh, the villain will also be a Batman villain who has never before been seen on the big screen, which rules out the Penguin, those previous rumors that we were hearing. So we've got the lineup. No casting yet, but that should gear up in the next couple of months as we look into film early next year. Do you like the lineup? Do you know much about these characters? Josh, what are you thinking? Well, I'm doing quick research on Cassandra <laughs> Kane. It looks like she's like the, the female version of Batman Forever. Or I don't know. It looks epic, though. Who is she? Is that who who she is, is she? She is raised basically to be the perfect bodyguard for Ra's al Ghul. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she be- eventually becomes like a helper for uh, Bat- Bat- or Batgirl, mm-hmm. adopted basically by Batman Bruce Wayne. And then um, after proving herself a couple of times, she is then she then takes on the Batgirl mantle. So she looks to be the Batgirl we're going to get for this movie, not Barbara Gordon 
who was previously reported to be in the movie, and that it looks like they're going to instead save Barbara Gordon for her own solo movie while having Cassandra Kane in this. And she is a very young girl. Looks like uh, reportedly they're casting like um, basically in the same range for as uh, they did for Logan hmm. for X twenty three. Really? Yeah, because like that's that's her age range basically in the comics is she's like preteen or like a teenager. So uh, it's a it's a high profile role. Um, potentially, she's she's very deadly. <laughs> she's very cool. Got a great costume. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to kind of see them do a little bit of a flip on on the character because you you would have thought we're getting Birds of Prey, which is typically in the comics, Batgirl, Huntress, yeah. and Black Canary. They are still giving us Batgirl, but they're not giving us Barbara Gordon Batgirl. So they're they're doubling down on her by having Cassandra Cain do her in. Mm-hmm. Birds of Prey, but then also had the Barbara Gordon version in the actual Batgirl solo movie. So uh, it's a very interesting uh, choice. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you would not have guessed based off of the comic drawings that she was preteen, which says a lot about comics, I guess. Or, I guess, but, or uh, uh, she is, I think, originally. I mean, over time, she's she's okay. aged. Yes. That's probably what they put at the front here. <laughs> All right. Because, oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. This sounds like a great lap. I don't know much about Renee Montoya, mm-hmm. but... This sounds like a cool lineup. The question, mm-hmm. I'm here for it though. The villain, that could be literally anyone at this point. You have no guesses? I have no guesses. Um, Black Mask is still being thrown around. And he just, it, it seems like the obvious choice would be some kind of gangster yeah. rather than an otherworldly, um, you know, CG heavy mm-hmm. character that they would need like um, Clay Man or Clay Monster <laughs> or whatever that yeah. guy's name is. Clayface? Exactly. So, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the lineup. Black Canary is uh, probably one of my favorite female DC uh, heroes. And her inclusion here obviously opens up the door for Green Arrow, Oliver Queen to be introduced later down the road. So she's great on her own, but then there's also world building that can be done with her. Uh, Huntress, another cool vigilante that I'm glad we're going to see another founding member of the Birds of Prey, Cassandra Kane. I'm on board for, and then Renee Montoya, uh, she's an openly, she's openly lesbian. And then she's a detective for the Gotham city police department. Mm. So it's only later in the comics where she takes on the question persona. And it isn't clear if she'll actually do that in the actual movie. Um, I would guess they probably don't do that right away. And that she'll instead be like the police helper to the birds of prey gang. And then, and like, if they get a sequel, then she can become questioned and be actual, like a superhero with the other girls. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Black Mask as the possible villain. That's where my mind went when they said it's never before been seen. It makes sense. I don't think Gotham City Sirens is actually happening. And that was the reported villain for David Ayer's movie. So if they've already kind of spent some legwork getting concept art or early casting or anything with that character, might as well use him now instead of waiting. And I think this then further confirms that the Penguin is going to be locked in for Matt Reeves' Batman as the main, or at least one of the main villains in that movie. So um, some cool updates on Birds of Prey. Hopefully we get some casting information soon. Uh, cause I, want to, I want to find out who these other actors are going to be alongside Margot Robbie because she's the star, but she, I mean, you got four other worlds here that you need to fill. And if this is going to be franchise, spinoff potential, you want to cast really well mm-hmm. right from the start. So. For sure. Then we also got another addition uh, a second comic book role for Zazie Beetz as the hot reporter revealed she is joining Warner Brothers Joker origin movie, which is officially just titled Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is going to start opposite of Joking Phoenix as, quote, a single mother who catches the interest of a man who will become the clown prince of crime. 
So not a lot to go on in terms of her role, but it's Zazie Beetz. We right. love her. Mm-hmm. It's this project, which is shaping up to be very interesting. Uh, do you like her moving on to this right after Deadpool? Yes, definitely. And then, like you said, we don't know much to go on with her character, mm-hmm. but we know a lot to go on with Zazie Beetz yes. as a whole. So she's going to be witty, sly, um, intelligent, and you know, be able to probably slap Joker around as much as, I mean, I don't know where Todd Phillips' film's going to go, <laughs> but if he's going to turn into an insane, you know, clown, um, she's, maybe it turns into like a horror movie and she's got to like defend herself or something like or that. Or maybe she turns into Harley Quinn. Maybe? I, I mean. I don't know. I, I think, I think Zazie would be such a good Harley Quinn. I'd be interested to see what's going on there. The, the, I feel the, like the, that would, they don't want to dilute the Margot Robbie brand. They're doubling down on Joker. That's true. Why not double down on Harley? And then they could turn into a whole Bonnie and Clyde type series for yeah. the three. That would be I phenomenal. I mean, this isn't going to be a franchise, but you it's not. If it goes well. It's not. Uh, okay. Joking Phoenix is not doing another movie. He has been very clear that this is a one-off. Oh, so man, uh, they they would have to really back up the be- the trucks full of money to get Phoenix back. They could do this, my idea, and make her uh, Harley Quinn, and then spin her spins as he beats off in her own Elseworld story. Again, that kind of overpopulate the Harley Quinn uh, marketplace. I feel like, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Zazie would otherwise do, I feel like, just a regular, like, love interest role. You know, I feel like yeah. I feel like she's kind of above that at this point. Mm-hmm. So having her be Harley or be a known person, I think, makes more sense than just being like, oh, I'm just the neighbor who lives next to the Joker guy. Okay. You will get at least 30 to 40% screen time of this movie. That's I think that's a guarantee. Jeez. That's a lot. That's a lot of screen time. Yeah, because I think well, I mean, I, if if not fifty, because I can I can just see it where he's the comedian, she's the bar owner, and he's like, I want to impress her, so I'll be a comedian, and then it just kind of spirals out of control before he becomes an insane clown, and she's like, Get away! I've got a knife and <laughs> all sorts of other weapons, like a Tommy gun stashed underneath the table, and just goes chaotic from there. Okay, I don't know. Um, the sister brother gang that Joaquin Phoenix is starring in. Yes, that movie. Looks like he's going to be a great Joker based off of that. I okay. saw the trailer for that the other day. I'm like, okay, this is going to work out well. Yeah, and then uh, they also officially gave this movie a release date, October 4th, 2019. So it's coming out in just over a year, so it's going to be a quick turnaround. And by that point or before then, if she shows up on set with Harley Quinn makeup, we'll know whatever Zazie Beats is doing, but we'll actually get to see her in just over a year from now. Uh, and we'll also get to see whoever Numan Akar is playing in Spider-Man Far From Home in just over a year as well, as Deadline revealed that the Aladdin uh, cast member has joined the cast of Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, his character is named Dimitri, according to the report, but that has not been confirmed. But if that is, in fact, his actual name, although the spelling is slightly different than the way Deadline spelled it, in the comics, Dimitri is actually the first name of classic Spider-Man villain Chameleon, who last week or two weeks ago, whenever J.B. Smoove was cast, I was saying he'd be a great chameleon if he wasn't J. John Jameson. Well, it looks like if he is a known person, I would assume he's going to be mm-hmm. J.J. now. And now Newman Carr will be our chameleon for the MCU. Yeah. I did not know Newman before this. Mm-hmm. But I saw his photo. I'm like, oh, wow. He's going to make an excellent Jafar. But he's not Jafar. No. He's just some right-hand man. Yeah, he's just like a hench guy. But... I guess that's great news, though, that they loved him or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, he's getting traction based out of 
what they've people have seen from Aladdin or heard from mm-hmm. Aladdin. Uh, so I am totally excited for this because he just he looks like an awesome dude who's going to be really great in this. Uh, he's just his jawline, I guess. It's yeah. really sharp. And I'm like, he could cut somebody with that. Uh, but yeah, this is great. I, this means J, uh, Be Smooth is going to be J. Jonah Jameson. That's going to be awesome, too. Um, Chameleon is going to be great, though, because it's going to turn this whole thing into like an international spy kind of mm-hmm. thriller, I think. Um, as long as Parker's still got the iron spider suit. I hope not. I don't go back to classic. I, yeah, I don't want to see him have the super overpowered suit forever. I mean, you got to got to tone him down a little bit. That's <laughs> a good he, point. If he can just do whatever, he's kind of he's basically invincible with Iron Spider. So like, I mean, Mysterio can mess with his head, I guess, and so I guess could uh, Chameleon. But I want to have some possible vulnerabilities to Peter Parker. It's gonna get like shorted out, and he's gonna be like, "Ah, now I gotta go back to the old duds." Yeah, and then we're here, Karen, and not Karen. Yep, that's Karen. Karen, and then be like, "Karen, welcome back." Hello. Yeah. And then I we mean, get yeah, is she not? Uh, is she not in? Which is, I just rewatched Infinity War uh, last week, a week and a half ago. What, five now? It's four. It's four, four viewings. Uh, and one thing I was thinking was because the Iron Spider is basically deployed onto Parker's already on suit, so mm-hmm. it's basically a cover of the regular suit. Yes, but then he can still use like the his mind to take the mask off whenever he wants because it's nanotech. Right. But when it, the original mask still be on, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> so how does that work? I was thinking about that. As, Maybe he changed out yeah, once he got. I was inside. just thinking, okay, well, once he once he's trapped on that Q ship, he he try he does it one time, then he realizes the mask on, so he takes it off, and then we move on. Stop questioning movie logic. <laughs> how dare you? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, Chameleon. It looks like he's going to be in Spider-Man: Far From Home. It's great. Building more of this uh, rogue gallery for Spidey and further laying the um, the groundwork for Craven the Hunter to join in the Ooh. third movie because uh, he is uh, Chameleon and Craven are half brothers in the comics. So there's been you know not necessarily rumors, but there there have been discussions or link or inklings that Craven is eventually going to be the villain of the third movie and building towards like a Sinister Six style film or something. So uh, we're just getting even closer to that. Maybe we'll get an actual tease of Craven's existence, a name drop or something. Spider-Man cool. six, Tom Holland, Spider-Man six films. Conclusion, Sinister Six. I don't know if they can wait that long. It would be epic because Tom Holland's would be like 25, no, 27, 28, 29, 30. He'd be like 30 when this comes around. If they made six movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be like about 30. That would be epic because it'd be like, Peter Parker, all grown up, and then you kill him. And bring in Miles. And then the spider slides down, and then we see Miles Morales. Dun, dun. I, uh, yeah. I still like that homies idea that Boss Logic threw out there. I know. You actually see him interact together. I'll take it either way. Um, but yeah, Miles is coming, whether it's in Spider-Man 4 or Spider-Man 6 or Spider-Man 7. Whenever it comes, he, he's, he's definitely coming. Um, and another uh, young diverse uh, hero that could be joining the MCU is actually Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart, uh, because a very interesting rumor popped up this week courtesy of that hashtag show where they unearthed this uh, posting from The Blacklist, which they revealed that a script titled Ironheart, which is Riri Williams' heroic name in Marvel Comics, a script based on her life and her story was listed on The Blacklist this past week. Um the blacklist is like a prestigious submit only uh, scripts kind of uh, 
housing unit, I guess. It's like a scriptwriters guild, but you, yeah, you pay to submit, you pay for placement, right? And, and then you can say, "Hey, read my script," and they'll like read your script and be like, "We liked your script." And, and then they can start. pass along to executives and all yep. this stuff. But the kicker of this is uh, because this is an existing IP, as Reed Williams Ironheart is, um, according to that hashtag show, which spoke to another screenwriter familiar with the screenwriting process, obviously. Um, they said that this writer, Jada Rodriguez, would not be able to write the script unless she owned the IP or was commissioned to write it. Um, and considering that Ironheart is a very new character, it would be very strange for most studios to sell her theatrical rights to let somebody else then make a script and potentially make a movie about it. So that instead points to the idea that Marvel has commissioned somebody to write an Ironheart script. Why it showed up on the blacklist... We have no idea. doesn't really make a lot of sense because mm-hmm. why would Marvel commission somebody to write it and then shop it around? But if an, Ironheart, if an Ironheart script is out there, that points to how they can continue this Iron Man franchise, the Iron Man mantle, mm-hmm. um, a youth movement in the MCU as we move on to Phase 4, Phase 5, Phase 6. Um, and Ironheart is a super cool character. Reed Williams is uh, one of the smartest people in Marvel Comics. Um there's a lot of comparisons between her and Shuri, even people going in as far as saying, well, let's make Letitia right, the Ironheart, which would be cool, but why take one young African-American female character and have her take the place of another one yeah. when you can have two instead? Right. Uh, so it's not confirmed, obviously, that we're getting an Ironheart movie, but it is interesting enough to at least talk about. Um, Josh, have you done? Have you read any Ironheart stuff? Um you're shaking your head no. I have not so. read any Ironheart anything, but I've from like I've kind of like taken a look at comic panels and kind of dug through those, I suppose, okay. to kind of figure it all out. But okay. it looks like a a Batman Forever situation where Stark's done being Iron Man and he's like, Here be Ironheart, you're the intern. Yeah, well at it. least in the the in her recent solo run, which started uh, about like two years ago, I okay. think. Um she becomes Ironheart after Tony Stark actually dies Ooh. in the Marvel comics. And then he is the Jarvis for her mm. because he's downloaded his consciousness, which is the easiest way to keep Robert Downey, Downey Jr. around. Mm-hmm. But you just pay him Paul Bettany money and have him come in for a day of voice work yeah. instead of having him come in for 10 days of shooting and making paying him $50 million, whatever mm-hmm. his cost is. You just say, hey, here's a couple million. Come into this voice booth for a couple of hours and you can still get billing. You'll still come in and do press for all this stuff. But now you don't have to actually, it's not as time um, consuming, I guess, as yeah. a role. So I feel like that's such an easy way to move this. I li- I love the idea of getting Ironheart in there. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's a movie that comes in the immediate future. I mean, if this is actually a movie that Marvel is developing. Yeah. See, that's the thing that I, like, I love thinking about this mm-hmm. like going forward because um amandaya stenberg from darkest minds would be is the, i think the perfect age and about to yeah. take center stage with um that movie mm-hmm. would be perfect for it but why if you're marvel and disney the juggernaut and you can just hire anyone in-house to write yeah why would you let this thing wind up there Right, which that's that's the weirdest part because it, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It almost feels like someone, um, Jada Rodriguez, mm-hmm. the author of it, or if that's a pen name or real name, wrote it and threw it on there. But if she did that, then she could get like 
sued by Marvel from using intellectual property that she doesn't own, uh, which would be career suicide because Marvel's going to win that legal battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, it doesn't make sense. I, I was not able to find anything about Jared Rodriguez as like a, as the screenwriter. Same here. So maybe she was just trying to break in and into the game and she didn't realize what she was doing. Um, but this, the movie is clearly a Riri Williams solo movie called Ironheart and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if this is, if we just believe that this is actually a movie that Marvel's making, um, having a screenwriter or a script finished, if it's on the blacklist, the script is done to some capacity, whether it's a rough draft, whether it's completely finished, whatever, this would instantly make Ironheart a premium, um, project for them one that they are very much looking to make one that is coming sooner rather than later and based probably like the 2021 kickoff film because we know we get or we were supposed to get guardians of galaxy volume 3 at the start of uh may 2020 uh, by all indications was never officially announced then the it has widely been assumed that black widow is going to fill the july 2020 release date and then it looked like eternals was going to be the november based on it having a screen it has a it's writing its script currently the director search is probably on currently as well um and then if ironheart has a script in development then it would be tw- the the early 2021 slot could work um whatever it, it's an interesting idea i think this definitely gives at least credence to the possibility that ironheart is in the future of the mcu which I, she clearly was already but i think this gives her more of a priority of like okay well if you're thinking of where's marvel cinematic universe going to go from here i feel like ironheart is now more concretely part of that conversation where it looks like they're definitely going that direction yes if this is I'm, again i don't hard, yeah. know the new i don't know the details here other than i mean unless someone just is like i want this to happen this is my best shot at it here's a here's a pseudonym here's the blacklist someone pick it up and i mean the blacklist even said here's one of the pop most popular scripts this week mm-hmm. it was getting passed around and it had some traction and some heat so if you're Kevin Feige and that thing is suddenly you know yeah but again like it's not like so it's not like Sony can be like okay yeah we'll we'll buy that because then right you're not buying the live action rights you're just buying that script Mm -hmm. Marvel still owns the live action rights to that character so there's so many legal complications to this right you couldn't produce the movie if you got it no so it it just seems like a (sighs) so like Warner Brothers can be like okay we're gonna we're gonna steal this one out of from under Disney you you still could not make it I mean, I, I, my gut says you can probably write anything. I mean, you could probably write a Star Trek movie and publish a script online. But as long as you're not trying to trade off of it or make money off of it. I don't know. I, maybe if it's based on totally original characters. I don't. I mean, I don't know all of the WGA ins and outs, all the legal rules behind <clears throat> everything. But at least from the reports that have come out about Ironheart specifically, if they if this script could not have been written without owning the IP or having been commissioned to do so, there's no way Marvel has sold the uh, intellectual property of Riri Williams. Yeah. Which means if the script is in fact legit, that this came from Marvel and is a movie they're developing. I guess my, what I'm kind of getting at here is like a cynical aspect. I'm like, there's no way they're moving this fast with a Ironheart film. I guess that's maybe why I'm holding back and trying to think. I don't know. Maybe this was just someone's play for a Riri Williams film. I could see it. I mean, so, either way, 
I really want to read the script, so maybe I'm <laughs> going to pay 25 bucks for a subscription and get reading. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, and as far as casting, um, one person I think could be – Amanda Stilberg was one of the ones I thought of as well, but uh, Yara Shahidi, who is the star of uh, Blackish and Grownish for ABC. Oh. She's got the Disney ties. She is uh, younger than 20, I believe, and she's like a fan favorite for for both of her roles in in that – continuity i guess with the the oh, grownish yeah. universe she inspired the yeah the spinoff so uh if you know if that show gets like two or three seasons at freeform i think it's where it's at and then it like ends disney could look inwards and i guess abc could look inwards and <laughs> get that moving in that direction i guess so um moving on then to dune we finally have some Dune hey. news to talk about. Um, it was like last week that it was reported that it looks like it's gearing up to start production in early uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. And now, courtesy of Deadline, we have news on who could be starring in that movie. Uh, and according to this report, it, it will be Timothy Chalamet <laughs> teaming up with Denny Villeneuve for mm-hmm. the Dune reboot. Uh, he would play the lead role of Paul Artidas, I believe is how you pronounce the last name, uh, who was previously played by Kyle McLaughlin in the David Lynch film. So... We've already kind of talked about this through text, and you were a little unsure about it. I just it it, it speaks. I don't know the. It speaks to a lot. It's that the casting says a lot about where Denny's film is going to go, mm-hmm. but I don't know which way it is because at the same time, Chalamet is so talented that Denny could remake Blade Runner in that kind of action style—a sober, slow action movie but also with these deeper levels and themes that mm-hmm. just pile and pile on top of each other that turns it into a mystery rather than an epic action flick or he could go the way of something like jj abrams and make a, a fun spielbergian style adventure film and you know that feels like star wars mm-hmm. which denny himself has compared it to but star wars for adults is what he star said star wars for adults is what he said i like I like Chalamet, and I think this is a fine casting because he's going to win over so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, people will be like, Dune, what's that? Timothy Chalamet. I mean, you and I have had an article, or you've had an article get traction on <laughs> some of the Timothy Chalamet uh, forums, yes. Forums and fan sites. So there's an audience out there, there is. for him, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, man, this is, I, I, I'm trying to think too far ahead in terms mm-hmm. of what this means but right now just the casting it's smart it's genius it gets a payday for chalamet mm-hmm. and it's a an up-and-coming star for his film or for denny's film so on those facts great people are probably going to go see do now mm-hmm. which is good because i want <laughs> denny to have his vision completely realized i mean i don't know does Sidney chalamet really have that kind of box office clout at this point uh, he's he's a heart he's a heartthrob. Yes, but this supposed heartthrob has only been doing Oscar movies. You know, Hot Summer Nights is kind of the first. I mean, I guess other than Interstellar, but like that is such a small role that like you're not gonna rem- like. I always forget that Timothy Chalamet is in Interstellar because it's just like, oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't know he was in Interstellar. Yeah, he's, is he the kid? Yeah, he's, he's the young. Um, he's the young uh, Affleck, Casey Affleck. Yeah, that's Casey's name, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, he doesn't, I'm like, the people who would go to go see this big sci-fi epic, like, that Dune is looking to be, they're not 
if they've seen his other movies like Call Me By Your Name or Hot Summer Nights um, or you know Lady Bird, they're not looking at those and being, oh man, I can't wait to see this guy do an action movie. But he was also a finalist to play Spider-Man for the MCU. Um, he's still my choice to play uh, Harry Osborn because I think him and Tom Holland together would be excellent. But this, if this deal does go through, this makes the first big budget sort of role for Chalamet, which I think really speaks volumes because so far he's been sticking to these smaller dramas, whether it's um, he's also doing that uh, movie with uh, Steve Carell later this year. That's right, yeah. Um, so he's not going into this genre really at all so far. So now that he is pairing up with a director like Denny, um, the two of them together I think really speaks to the vision of this film where they're not going for that J.J. Abrams, Spielberg, big summer sort of blockbuster nature that Dune could possibly be. I think it instead speaks to going a little bit more grounded than the David Lynch version was, um, but still kind of having the same sort of style where it's grounded and it is uh, really about world building and character and it's not about the big adventure that can be had with Dune. And I think Chalamet can really do a great job with that because he exceeds in kind of these quieter roles where mm-hmm. he just gets to act without talking yeah, and right. not to say he's bad at talking D- or something. Display nuance. Yeah. But like he is a very talented guy and I want to see him kind of take on this role. And when I think back to what Kyle McLaughlin did as this character, mm-hmm. it's that same sort of quiet, all in the eyes performance um, that starts off as this just kid who gets and goes on this journey to become a leader. And I think Chalamet can definitely do that, especially if it's not only in this film, but if it's in Dune 2 or Dune 3, or however long this thing goes on for, um, I'm all here for it. Yeah, but the, the reason I want to pull back on that vision for the movie is because Denny said that he didn't want to make another... He, he said it wasn't in his best interests to make another movie in the style of Blade Runner again. And I, my because he told the telegraph um, it would not be a good idea for me to make a movie like that twice. Mm-hmm. So it almost speaks towards a, okay, they're going to lean away from being too adult then as well. Or they're just going to lean away from a two hour and 40 minute runtime. Yeah, that's true. Jeez, <laughs> oh, Cause you can still have that grounded sort of feel, but if it's in two hours, two hours and 15 minutes mm-hmm. and you get to do it in two movies, then you can still play with that and still have a movie move at a, pace that I think more regular audiences would be on board for yeah. instead of people who watch Blade Runner and be like, oh, it's slow and boring. True. So I think there's going to be some high-spirited action. Oh, yeah. But, but now I'm kind of thinking, oh, boy, is this going to be like Valerian where no. it looks majestic, but then ultimately like the those two worlds don't really collide. I think it would have, a, it would have a totally different visual style than Valerian. Oh, yeah. I mean... With the idea of like grand Denny's eye plastered uh-huh. everywhere, hopefully with um, Roger Dinkins back again, at oh, least for the first that'd be film. Great. That would be amazing. Um, he's already hired the Blade Runner visual effects artist for this film. So um, that was from probably Omega Underground. Omega Underground. Yep. They're all really great about that stuff. So I think <laughs> this is great. I'm excited <laughs> to talk about Dune. I think I need to reread Frank Herbert's book again. And go over it page by page. That way I can sort of at least try to understand where Villeneuve is trying to come from for this. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because I really can see it going either way. Okay. To make Chalamet a mainstream star or to keep him in that wheelhouse of doing um, heightened drama mm-hmm. and with Villeneuve's vision, um, something that reaches beyond what's explicit. So, I don't know, but I'm excited. All right, next up will just be Hugh Jackman joining the cast. <sighs> it's happening. It's happening. I just feel it in my veins. Hugh Jackman for Dune? Yeah, he'll play like the dad or something. I don't know. But he... Because, again, going back to Chalamet's box office presence, mm-hmm. Denny doesn't really have that name appeal necessarily in terms of box office where it's like... Uh, For mainstream people. Yeah. Like, yeah, like Arrival made a, made more money than I think a lot of people thought it would. Um, but like Enemy, Sicario, um, his other prisoners, they're not like box office juggernauts, which Dune is going to be uh, high budget. They're going to need box office to warrant continue this thing on past just one film which i think denny wants to do so getting somebody like hugh jackman who has been wolverine for 20 years uh is exactly who you need or jake gyllenhaal who will be finishing up his role in spider-man far from home at the time that goes into production i don't know i feel like i feel like uh hugh probably still has the pull on jake at this point you could get both sure I mean, just then get Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner. Oh, yeah. Uh, just get all of the he should pull classic a, Denny people. Or at least Forrest Whitaker. He just needs sure. to get one of his alumni. He's worked with so many great oh, people, yeah. which is insane. Which is, again, I think a testament. Because it's funny because this came out this past week. Because before we recorded last week, I was saying we were talking about this because we didn't cover the Dune start date. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I feel like they're going to go with the, uh, the kid from Dunkirk just cause that's a Warner brothers thing. Yeah. The Nolan connection. Um, like I feel like that's just where they're going to go. And then to get Timothy Chalamet, I think's a, a nice move instead. So, um, we'll end it here. We'll end it with two bits of casting information. Uh, Jennifer Conley, according to the Howard reporter is going to join the cast of Top Gun Maverick. Uh, she'll play a single mother who runs a local bar near the Navy base uh, and likely making her the love interest for Tom Cruise as well. So Jennifer Conley is excellent mm-hmm. in basically everything she does. Yes, sir. This is going to be an Only the Brave U- reunion with her and Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. And who, director uh, Joseph Kolaski. So. Kozinski. Kozinski, yep. Yep. So th- there's your there's your connection, connective mm-hmm. tissue all and the way yeah, through I mean, with those guys. Teller and Conley seen at the very end of Only the Brave is one of the best parts of the movie. Their emotional connection after the events transpired. So um, her getting this kind of more fun role I expect it to be, uh, I'm, I'm totally on board for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just excited for this whole thing now in general. I was like lukewarm mm-hmm. and now I'm, yeah, I'm all about this. Mainly because Tom Cruise is like right here for me now after seeing him like in, <laughs> his, in, in peak form. I want to revisit American Maid. I want to revisit basically his entire filmography mm-hmm. to see like how it all shapes up with me with a positive mindset towards him. <laughs> now that you're not just thinking about Jack Reacher every well, time you think of it. Yeah, Jack Reacher and Scientology. But now I'm like, I got Mission Impossible to stack on top of that stuff. So it, it all feels a whole lot better. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for this. Then Deadline also revealed that Aquaman's Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Titan star Anna Diop have joined the cast Jordan Beale's Us. Uh, there's no word currently on who they're playing, but they join a cast that includes Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, and Tim Heidecker. Um, not super familiar with either of them so far. We're going to talk about the Aquaman trailer and our big question this week is kind of our San Diego Comic-Con wrap-up. Um, 
but he looks really cool as Black Manta. He does. He, he was good in the get down from what I saw of it. I'd never finished the actual series, but he was good in it. So, uh, yeah, I'm on board for this. Yeah, he um, also – I don't know much about Anna. Um, mm-hmm. I know she is Starfire in the yep. Titans series, which had a really kind of dark Interesting and trailer. trailer. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to watch that. But also in Quantico. Haven't seen okay. a, a second of that show either. But um, Abdul Mateen was also in Baywatch, where he played a very oh, yeah. Jordan Peele like comedic character. Mm-hmm. So he was good in Baywatch. Yeah, he's one the, of the best parts. Him, um, yeah, pre, or you know, lecturing Efron on the "you people" phrase. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. It's a good gold moment, uh, especially when Johnson joins in. So uh, he was a, he's a perfect fit along those lines. But depending on what Peele goes for in this movie. Um, yeah, he'll he'll definitely he'll direct out a great performance, I think. Yeah, um, and then I guess we'll we'll wrap it up. I lied earlier. We'll wrap it up with a very quick story that is a stupid story, so bizarre. But the rap reported this week that Nickelodeon and Paramount are reviving the Rugrats for a TV series, which is fine. Don't care about it. But they're also going to make a live action movie, which has been described as quote a live action film featuring CGI characters. Uh, it's written by Family Guy scribe David Goodman, and they already announced a release date of November 13th, 2020. So it's coming in just over two years. Do you have any idea how this can be a good thing? Uh, no, I don't have a, the slightest idea. Did you ever see the movie Baby Geniuses? I did see the movie Baby Geniuses, that, and Baby Geniuses 2, yes. Super Babies. Yes, of course. Same. Those were... VHSs that they everyone were, was trying to pitch out at garage sales and then somehow winded up in our house. They were classics at the Hood household in my childhood. Um, looking back at them, insanely creepy, mm-hmm. especially the second one. Yep. And the idea of doing a similar sort of mo- movie, but where the characters are CGI creations in terms of that's what the Rugrats will be if they're the CGI characters. I assume that it's part of this description. What is the point? That is going to be the scariest thing I see in 2020. I don't care if there is uh, what kind of horror movies comes mm-hmm. out, what kind of conjuring stuff is out that year. This is just going to be, this is going to give me nightmares whenever that first image pops up. Yeah, you're, you sound a thousand percent right. The only saving grace that I can think of for this is that it'll be done in the animation style of Tintin. But that's only part of the movie. It's live action with CGI characters. Maybe, possibly. Paramount did distribute Tintin. Um, so that, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking live action's not true. And that's going to be the mocap performances over top of animation. Just make it Just make it totally animation. I don't want to... This is just too weird. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I don't want to... Boss Baby was fine, I guess. But you were champion, Boss Baby. You thought it was worthy of an Oscar nomination. Well, I, I think I was joking when I. Well, did I? you said it multiple times. Okay. I took you very seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the idea, I mean, CG wise, like the the concept of the Boss Baby, okay, is fine. Like you know, like talking babies will do it all animated wise, mm-hmm. but it's not Rugrats where it's like trying to understand the adult world through the eyes of a baby, right? Where you could, you know, I don't, you know what? Maybe Rugrats think piece is in order. But no, the, no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> but. 
I don't know. This is just nuts. And yeah, like you said, if it is a th- very thin line they'll be walking. They're going to have to James Cameron pioneer something <laughs> here to not have it be, you know, um, Polar Express creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they will. Um, so that brings us to the end of the news for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a review of Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll even do a ranking of the movies to wrap up that review because now you've seen them yep. all. Yep. I have in the middle, I'm at the end of my rewatch. I just have uh, Rogue Nation mm-hmm. left to watch again. But I feel like I know where my ranking falls, but we'll see if it changes um, after watching this one again. Hopefully, based on the early buzz, Fallout is the best one possibly. Um, if that's the case, great. I have very high expectations for the movie. I've seen it in IMAX. Uh, I don't actually have my ticket yet, but I'm definitely going to see the IMAX opening night. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be epic. Um, I'm totally on board for this movie. Yeah, same here. Um, I wrote in my Ghost Protocol review that I just immediately, as I watched him scale the Burj Khalif, um, that I regretted not seeing mm-hmm. this film in IMAX. And then subsequently, um, Rogue Nation as well, even though Rogue Nation stunts weren't as... Uh, they weren't as high profile, I would say. No, I mean, there's the opening plane sequence, which is, which is pretty oh good in IMAX. Goodness, I can't believe he did that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I will not be missing this thing in IMAX for sure. And I'm excited. I can't wait. Yeah, um, I mean, if anything, go see it in IMAX just for the Halo jump. Sounds like it is stellar. Um, so can't wait to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Be sure to tune in next week for that review. And as I teased earlier, we're going to have another big question out in a couple of days. Wrapping up San Diego Comic-Con, talking about who won. Not necessarily the studio, but the actual movie, because there wasn't as much kind of crazy news as I kind of expected we would get. So this is our way of wrapping up Comic-Con, talking about the winner uh, that won the most out of all the other movies that were shown. The winner was the fans. <laughs> there we go. That's, okay. the, that's the best answer. Um, so if you enjoyed this episode, though, please subscribe to Retweet and more. Plus, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments. That those reviews really help the show gain more notoriety, help us be easier to find on uh, feeds and lists and rankings. So if you listen to the podcast and you have not done that already, please go do that this week. It uh, really helps the show. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts, everything covered by Trina Sat Friends of Film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, and just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for a review of Mission Impossible Fallout.